thank you for tuning in. We are the volunteers from We Cymru, Wellbeing Economy Cymru. It's an organisation that seeks to promote the idea of a wellbeing economy across Wales and help us all to understand what that actually means. I'm Dawn Lyle. I run an organisation called For the Region and I've been working with We Cymru on a volunteer basis for a few years now. And I'm just really passionate about exploring alternative economic systems to the mess that we're in um, and an achievable path forward to a, a, an economy that serves the well-being of people and local places and the natural world rather than an economy that is completely extractive and leaves us all feeling exploited and burnt out and at the same time uh, is destroying our planet. So for me, well-being economics is a really exciting concept. But of course, if no one understands what it means, uh, then we're on a hiding to nowhere. So that's what we think of our role at Wellbeing Economy Cymru to be, is helping to shine a light on initiatives and projects and examples from across Wales of where we think the well-being economy is already happening. And I think it's fair to say that there are loads of really great examples of well-being economics in action across Wales. And briefly, I think those are the, the projects and initiatives whose vision and values and objectives and goals are about um, creating a livable and sustainable future and where the values of people and nature are at the forefront of people's mind rather than those projects that are seeking success under those old metrics of uh, economic growth and productivity. Anyway, today, uh, as a little group of volunteer organisers, we have a bit of time to reflect on a recent meeting that we hosted. Followers of this podcast may know that we host a monthly discussion forum, usually online, bringing together um, interested people from across Wales. And the September forum was about tourism. So the question really around uh, whether tourism as a hugely important economic sector for Wales can deliver a well-being economy. And we were looking at whether there's a new and achievable path forward for our tourism sector to a successful and sustainable tourism industry that has a focus on local economies and communities. And we brought together a really great panel uh, which included Nigel Morgan, who's um, an academic, and he had a lot of insight to share about the state of Wales's tourism sector. Um, we were really inspired to hear from Kerry Cunnington from Cumni Cumanedol Bro Festiniog in Blaenau Festiniog, um, and he had a lot to say about community enterprises in the tourism sector. And we also heard from Anka Winschenbach, who is a national judge for Green Key, which is a sustainability standard for hospitality and tourism. And Ian Tweedale, who is an expert guide on the Wexford to Pembrokeshire Pilgrim Way. And he was talking to us about pilgrimages as a new trend in tourism. And what's the difference between being a modern day pilgrim as opposed to being simply a tourist? So you can, of course, listen to that whole discussion, which was an hour and a half long event that is available on our website. But for the purposes of this 
podcast, we wanted to share a few of our key takeaways and reflections from that event, hopefully really to whet your appetite to go and listen to the full discussion. But I'll bring in my colleague, Stephen. Stephen Priestnell, will you talk to us about your key takeaways from that tourism discussion? Thanks, Tom. First of all, it was a hugely enjoyable session. You know, we were all, were we nervous going into it? We weren't quite sure how it was going to kind of materialise as, as, as an outcome. We challenged ourselves with what the connection for tourism and a wellbeing economy was. And um, it led us down a few, a few kind of valleyways didn't it, when we had our conversation, setting the session up. Um, in fact, I think we had four or five debates before we finalised the brief for the panel speakers. But on the night, it was such a broad perspective. I mean, I think the pilgrimage guy was just, I just wasn't expecting that at all. And uh, it brought a new perspective to the way in which kind of tourism can work. But what kind of triggered my thinking going into the session, which you know maybe colleagues want to talk to, is how poorly Wales does as a tourism destination. Because the report just came out, hadn't it, just beforehand, um, talking about Wales' relative poor performance, uh, you know, a place that we all love. We all love how it looks. We all love what we can do there, the activities. We love the community. We love the cities. We love the, you know, the coastline, the mountains. And yet it performs poorly. And, and actually, that's not just about people coming into Wales. It's about people in Wales staying in Wales. So I thought that as a challenge to the group, I thought that was really interesting. We didn't approach this as... Let's just think about great things to do with the well-being economy. We actually talked about a well-being economy solving the problems of tourism. That was quite an interesting kind of kickoff for me that I think inspired some of the discussion. Yes, I think that Nigel pointed out that Wales has half of the UK's most tourism-reliant regions. And he said that Anglesey is actually more tourism-reliant than Blackpool. But actually, Wales gets a very small share of the UK's tourism economy. So. Yeah, our reliance, our dependence on tourism, and then perhaps our kind of underperformance. But I think he was also talking about how the kind of trends in tourism towards um, well-being and uh, escape to nature and a desire for an authentic tourism experience really should play to Wales's strengths. Um, But how can we kind of grow our visitor numbers and grow our tourism economy without inflicting kind of damage on the environment that we love and the communities that we care about. I think that was kind of the core question, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that I was struck by that conflict between tourism and the environment. There's kind of easy wins to build things that people want to go and see and do, which actually aren't particularly sustainable for the environment. And it was Kerry, wasn't it, who talked at length about some of the initiatives that had been done that kind of frustrated him because there was money going into things. Wasn't there, wasn't there a wonderful quote that he gave us that uh, w- one of his younger tourism visitors, or maybe one of his children, on the back of a surface lagoon that had been built, didn't she pose the question, shouldn't, shouldn't waves be making energy, not energy be making waves in Wales? I think that was, that was quite something for us to reflect on. Everything that Kerry said really resonated with me. He was talking about the social value of tourism in quite a deprived area of Wales, in um, Blyneye, Festiniog and that area, where they've made some really great progress in taking things into their own hands as a community. I think he said the community had taken over the tourist information office and they've really embraced a kind of cooperative model that now... Uh, generates wealth for 
the local community uh, rather than putting our tourism sector into the hands of, I guess, global companies where perhaps the benefit doesn't remain in Wales. And he talked about adventure tourism, didn't he, as being kind of extractive in that way. Um, He called that the old mainstream. So this idea that people want an adrenaline packed activity. And there are some examples in North Wales, aren't there, of like Zip World and other um, surf Snowdonia, I think is the one you're talking about, where um, in inland in Wales, there's a sort of surf park, which, yeah, seems counterintuitive when we have such a fantastic natural environment, which in itself is an adventure, isn't it? Climbing mountains and uh, immersing yourself in nature. Why do we need to build these adrenaline fueled locations or, in fact, allow others to build such places? Yeah, so controversial. He he talked about how important it was to be brave and honest when we're talking about the future of our tourism sector. Margot, what did you think of that event? What were your kind of key I takeaways? Mean, others here will know that I've been worried for a while about us not telling whatever wisdom there was in the academic side compared to a few other uh, we all hubs, which seem to have Uh, had more success using them. So I was really delighted that Nigel seemed to keep his feet on the ground about uh, how tourism worked in Wales. And I particularly noted that he talked about micro-businesses. Most of them were micro-businesses, not even SMEs. And he also made the point about it being an Indigenous sector. Whatever we've got to offer visitors is already here. Enough is already here. And that it transfers money from urban to rural people. And that it's very good for young people, women and ethnic minorities. If we're talking about outcome, I've already been uh, talking to some of the people from the Kilvey Hill protest groups in Swansea who are looking at this big external company coming in to do something and trying to see if they can get the argument more around to the kind of circular economy that he talked about from Blyneye Festinia, where the income from the mountain bike racing helped to buy the hardware store that gave out-of-season jobs to the young people who would otherwise not have had a year-round job, and that were they were using some of the money for housing to make affordable housing too. Now, I think those are just the kind of arguments that Um, the Kilvey Hill people should be making to the council to try and see if we can, if this um, development is going to come to Swansea, if we can try and make sure that more of the money stays local. Many people were really impressed with the last speaker who talked about the high number of visitors wanting to go on a a pilgrimage. So I think we we maybe should put a number of these websites uh, up on our website so that people who listen to the podcast can follow on with uh, other connections. And that really enforces that idea that across Wales, there are all these shining examples of well-being economy tourism that we can shine a light on and really do lead the way. Sean, what were your reflections on that tourism discussion? Well, a number of you have nicked what I was going to say. How dare you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that quick, Sean. Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the thing about going last. Having said that, 
I think Stephen was right in, in raising, you know, the debate that we had around the Welsh Affairs Select Committee and the small amount of relative to the total value of, and we're looking at it in GDP terms, which maybe we shouldn't do, bring us where the wellbeing economy, but the total value of money coming into Wales. And it being between 9 and 11% of Wales's income, which is significant, absolutely mm. significant. So we came at it from that end, which was the catalyst to our conversation. But we ended up in a very different place. And I think that that was great because we ended up in a place where we could see the benefit of things going on, the wealth creation in Blaenau-Festiniog, the innovation in Blaenau-Festiniog, and working towards the ambition board in North Wales of reducing poverty in so many areas. I never seen I was on the edge of Erori and an incredibly beautiful place, but also quite a distressed landscape. An industrial hinterland where there's huge mounds of slate and can be quite grey. And yet they had managed to put a huge amount of colour into their community by the way that they had captured how they could improve the community wealth. Having um, a community that has more social enterprises per head of population than any other community in Europe is remarkable. Remarkable and a testament to the amount of hard work they've put into it. And also a model that possibly others could could follow uh, in Wales. Certainly it's quite doable. Clearly you do have to have vision, but it is quite doable. It's amazing the fact that they've managed to take tourism away from being such a seasonal income-led past time and managed to make it year round and in fact because it's mountain bike trails as we all know probably Stephen more than any the muddier you get the happier you are so it's it's a question of you know they've, they've clearly captured that interest and that's absolutely fantastic for me there are a couple of standout bits of information one about pilgrims bringing three times as much benefit in the local community than others simply because they travel so simply. It's not just the amount of distance that they travel in their legs, but it's also the amount of distance that they travel in their heads. Um, so it's, it's a question of people not just thinking of pilgrimage as, as something that does, as happens with, you know, in a strong religious environment. It, a lot of it's about spirituality. But the impact of having three times as much benefit is, of course, that you are staying in small places. You are buying local food. You are supporting local producers. And in Wales, we have a fabulous Wales coastal path, which which rivals Wild Atlantic in Ireland. And maybe this is an opportunity for us to, again, capitalise at a at a low impact level, the benefits of those type of places. And not only that, but bringing people in so they can understand the culture a bit more. In Blaina, it's a very well-speaking area. It's got a very strong cultural background. And this is something, of course, with being able to keep people in their communities reinforces and underpins one of those pillars that we want to do under the Future Generations Act. It is about culture and it is about helping people feel proud and the benefit of having a strong cultural narrative. So that was that was what came out to me, apart from the fact that it was quite a relief that it went so well. Well, no, a lot of thanks to you on that 
Sean, for the organisation. There's something just clicked in my mind when when Sean mentioned DDP earlier in the conversation as a as a measurement of one of the uh, one of the elements of tourism we talked about. What to me came out, especially on the reflections of Kerry and Planafistiniog, was the recognition that the value of a visit wasn't just economic value. Which this is great for us, isn't it? Because it gives us the kind of summary of what a well-being economy actually looks like, and the fact that that visits a footprint. Yes, it's economic, but it's also cultural. It's also community engagement, and it's also environmental. And I think that gives us a really strong kind of perspective of how we can transition away from GDP reliance and move into a measurement of something as success that actually is about people and planet. There was so much, actually, now that we're reflecting on it. The thing about pilgrimages and slow tourism and low-impact tourism, and also that local people could spend their tourism sort of time and money uh, within Wales rather than having to travel elsewhere. I remember also Dr. Anka Winchenbach, who's a lecturer and a researcher, but she was talking about Germany and other countries who are using different frameworks for looking at tourism and tourism businesses. And she was talking about the economy for the common good. So as you say, Stephen, different ways of measuring the impact of tourism. So we're not just constantly talking about the economic impact and the jobs created. And of course, here in Wales, we we have the well-being goals and um, well-being metrics to think about how we judge whether something is good or bad. So I just think that will was really good um, input into the whole conversation about a different way of thinking about economic value. But that's tourism. So I think there's probably more to revisit. I think it's a huge topic. I think we barely scratched the surface of some big issues, uh, one of which is sort of Airbnb and um, accommodation. That came out a lot in the chat, I think, about how do we um, create places to stay in a way that doesn't make housing unaffordable for local people. Uh, So it's potentially a topic that we'll have to revisit because there's probably more to discuss. But in our next evening forum, which is coming up in October, on the 12th of October, we're talking about something completely different, which is activism. We're talking about what role activism has in the creation of a well-being economy, what motivates people to step up and try and make a difference as activists, and how we can encourage more people from all backgrounds to be active in furthering Wales's well-being economy. I'd love to bring Ellie in. Ellie, you're one of the youngest members of our volunteer team here at We Cymru, and you're helping to put together this discussion on the 12th of October, and you are a climate activist, aren't you? I am, yes. Thank you, Dawn. Yeah, this is a topic that I'm I'm really keen for us to explore because I think that activism or change making, I think that that can mean different things to different groups of people. And I think then that links into what you were saying about, you know, what motivates people to make change. The meaning of activism directly links to the different ways in which activism can be carried out. And that's something that I'm quite keen to explore with a broad range of panellists. I'm kind of hoping that we can touch on the different forms of activism that people can get involved with and also highlight that different forms of activism have resulted in creating change and furthering the wellbeing economy movement here in Wales. 
it's also important to highlight, like you said, that there are there are challenges facing the activist movement in Wales and what barriers are there to encouraging more people from a diverse range of backgrounds to partake in this drive towards creating an economy that is better for us and better for the planet. But I think that these challenges are felt differently depending on the way in which the activism or change making is happening. So for example, a common challenge facing, let's say, a big organisation, a charity, is funding. A lot of the time it's funding, whereas perhaps a challenge more acutely felt by a smaller local group of volunteers within a community, it could be membership or, or perhaps gaining support within their local area. So I'm, I'm hoping that this forum on October the 12th will not only highlight the excellent work that's already happening to create change and further the wellbeing economy movement here in Wales, but also I hope that it, it provides a safe space to talk openly about these challenges and explore potential solutions to them together. I, I think, you know, one of the aspects of our dominant economic system is that it is intensely disempowering, you know, kind of global capitalism and the kind of global nature of it and the enormous corporations and like the power of big money. And I think all of all of this kind of serves to make people feel incredibly disempowered. And I would say one of the challenges for activism is that many people have sort of given up hope that they can make any sort of change happen. And again, I kind of come back to well-being economics. And its focus on, you know, the grassroots and building things from the ground up and starting where we are, where we live, um, and yeah, starting local. It feels to me much more empowering and somewhere where we can all make a difference because it's about, yeah, making an impact where we are rather than trying to grapple with what feel like enormous, impossible challenges. I also am really interested, Ellie, in something you've said about uh, your work with Youth Climate Ambassadors for Wales, you said that the, the very word activism is a problem, you know, that people, maybe young people don't see themselves as activists and are perhaps turned off by that language. I think that's definitely the case because I don't know about everybody else in the room. When I think of the word activism or activist, I think of protesting. And whilst that is a very valid and very important form of activism, what's important is not to forget that small changes in our everyday lives or perhaps a conversation amongst your friends or your family, that's also activism. You are also making space for a conversation there, for an exchange of ideas. And I think that that's forgotten, especially with the current political rhetoric around protesting and activism. It's important to highlight that anyone can be part of creating this better positive change. And I'm really hoping that our, our broad range of panellists on the 12th will be able to, to help so many people realise that, that they probably already are part of the change. And it doesn't matter how small your activism is, it still matters. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Like just standing for something in your choices of what you buy or even the things you think in your own head sometimes I think 
um, yeah, you can be quite radical in just thinking differently and standing up for your own values uh, without having to go and wave a placard. And also I notice things like craftivism, which I think is a, a blend of the word craft and activism, where you see people knitting things and sewing things. Uh, which seems to me a sort of quieter form of activism. But as you say, it like creates opportunity for different conversations and different possibilities um, to make change. Uh, Sean, what do you think? Are you an activist? And what are you looking forward to in the activism conversation in October? I see myself more of a disruptor than an activist, if I'm honest. I'm always there asking the questions that nobody can answer, including me. But I would love to see people joining us on that evening who maybe are doing small amounts of activism in their own communities, for example, food banks or helping people understand how to cook. Just that little bit of change that they have seen something that has made them feel this isn't just or this isn't right or I can make a difference here. It would be good if we could ensure that either people come who have that in their mind or people come who are actually demonstrating that they're actually doing that. Because, you know, it's, it's the same thing, isn't it? We know it's happening. We've just got to show everybody else out there that it is happening and for people to understand what it's happening means in terms of change. Uh, it doesn't have to be radical. But it does have to be kind and it does have to be thoughtful. Absolutely. Well, I think that event on the 12th of October is going to be really fascinating. As Ellie said there, we're hoping to have representatives from various different movements in Wales, including kind of race equality activists and health inequality activists, um, community-based as well as the kind of climate, nature and environmental activism that you would expect. Um, and it's bound to be a fascinating discussion. So please do join us for that. And you can find the link to register on our website, which is wellbeingeconomy.cymru. But yeah, it's happening. It's exciting to be part of this movement for Wales. It's exciting to live in a place where I think we are leading the way. We are showing that things can be done differently. Our government is open to reassessing what really matters and yeah working differently and I think people from across the Wellbeing Economy Alliance around the world are watching what's happening here in Wales and people projects and organizations across the nation are really inspiring and pioneering and our ability to make change happen through the actions of people at every level through change making and activism will be really exciting to explore. So I think that's it for today's conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. These podcasts are just an opportunity to uh, throw around a few ideas and reflect on our own journey here in Wellbeing Economy Cymru as we come to understand and flesh out what wellbeing economics could mean for Wales and all the ways in which it's already happening in such an exciting way across the country. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you again soon.